Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Welcome to the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, talking about the Browns. 41-16 win over the Bengals. Looking at the defense, the comprehensive breakdown as we always do. Before we get to that report, though, talk to you about our friends at TickPick. Once again, $10 off your first order. The original no-fee site. Go to TickPick.com slash breakdown and take advantage of that $10 offer. Once again, they are the original no-fee site. So what you see on the advertisement for the price of the ticket is what you get at the end. Make sure you go use your web browser, take advantage of that opportunity, get the tickets. with Again, they give you the price ranges too, which is nice. What's the best deal? What's a medium deal? What's a low offer? So their, 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 their main purpose is to get you the best deal on tickets, and I believe that's what they do at TickPick.com, T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K.com. Check them out today. Use that backslash breakdown take advantage of the offer. So looking at the Browns game here, I mean, from the from the uh, general statistics point of view, yeah, they gave up 348 yards, but they only gave up five yards of play on 70 plays, and they created three turnovers, which is huge. As we know, created also five sacks. I always talk about the five threshold between sacks and turnovers. They actually got this one, obviously, to eight. That was huge. Looking at defensive grades, because this is where it got pretty fun. Denzel Ward with his best game of the year, and honestly one of his best games in a significant amount of time with a 93.1, both overall grade and coverage grade, which helps his year jump up significantly to a 79.3. And as tough as this year has kind of been for Denzel, uh, you know, spots here and there have been tough. He's actually putting together his best overall comprehensive defensive grade because he's defending the run better than he has in his career. An 80.7 against the run, 78.7 tackle grade. He's only missed one tackle all season in 420 snaps. And then the 76.0 coverage grade is the best it's been in a couple years. His 83.6 he had his rookie year was was obviously the high mark when he had three interceptions. But he's on track, doing a nice job. Five pass breakups and interception. The 93.1 from Denzel. I'd have to check here as we kind of scroll through. Obviously, his best work of this year, he put together an 80.2 in 2020. He put together an 81.6 against New England in 2019 for his high mark. And then in 2018, he put together a 90.9 against the Jets. His debut uh, week one of 2018, he had an 85.6. So the 91.4 is his all-time high against the Jets his rookie season when he had, uh, he did not have an interception in this game, nor a pass breakup, but that was just his best metric game. I'd, I'd venture to say this is Denzel's best game as a pro. The 93.1 indicates that. Obviously, two pass breakups and interception. He had a couple tackles on the day, too. This is the stuff you need from Denzel. Talking about going to the next level. We need more steady performances like that from him to prove that he belongs in the upper echelon that I think he's pretty close to. Uh, he's just got to turn the corner on that one. So pretty proud of how he played. That was the difference-making type of stuff that we all talk about all the time. You know, we want Denzel to be this player we all believe he can at the fourth overall pick in 2018. That's what you want him to get to. Uh, really encouraging stuff, and hopefully he can turn the corner the rest of the way and close out the year strong because that would be great for his not only reputation but his pocketbook. John Johnson with an 85.8, by far his best grade as a Cleveland Brown in any game. He had three tackles on the day. He obviously had a fumble force that was huge. Three stop tackles 
And uh, when when targeted, he only allowed one catch for three yards, also had the interception, 80.8 coverage grade. The thing that I like, guys, is that he ended up with 22 snaps in the box, by far his most of 20, 2021 with the Cleveland Browns. If you look at his snaps by position, that he had 10 last week before he left with the injury, which was the most he's had in any one uh, effort this year, but he got up to 22 in the Cincinnati game here which is which is exciting to me and eight lined up over the slot corner so again could be turning a little bit of a little bit of a corner there I really like John Johnson closer to the line of scrimmage with the uptick of some of the data we're going to talk about in a minute AJ Green in seven snaps at an 83.5 he had a nice pass breakup did allow one catch for nine yards but I really liked his defense of the back shoulder throw that was uh that was put out to I think it was to a, a throw to Jamar Chase, so I really, I really uh, appreciated that play. I think AJ Green's a valuable player as far as a role coverage player, doing a great job. Anthony Walker, another strong performance, a seventy-seven point five uh, grade and eighty point zero in run defense, sixty-five point eight in coverage, ten tackles on the day, five stop tackles, fantastic stuff from Anthony Walker. Miles Garrett, seventy-five point seven, a seventy-two point nine pass rush where he had four total pressures, two sacks. One hit, one hurry. Again, Miles, phenomenal. I thought he got double-teamed a lot of the day. They actually did a decent job on him, but he can just change everything in one little play, man. And that's what he did when he when he got that, uh, when that, that huge sack in the second half. Elijah Lee played 13 snaps. He had a 74.3 grade. Sheldon Day played 36 snaps. Good, good sign there. He had a 73.6 grade. I thought he was very active. He had four pressures on the day, Sheldon Day. That's a... That's a really good number. He had a sack, a hurt, a hurt, a hit, and two hurries. So Sheldon Day, not talked about enough, played played pretty well. Uh, again, might be a important cog moving forward as the defensive interior has struggled, especially Andrew Billings has struggled and was inactive on the day. Ronnie Harrison put up one of his better grades on the year. Again, only one real stop tackle, but he played a lot of deep coverage in this game. He had a 70.6 grade, 80.7 tackle grade, 67.3 coverage mark. I would venture to say... Highest, well, the Chicago game, he got a higher grade, but uh, his second best game of the season, the snaps by position, he had 38 in the deep portion of the field. So last week as a free safety, he had 38. This week he had 38. So we're seeing those um, box snaps kind of being split a little more evenly between Ronnie and, uh, and John Johnson, which is something that I was definitely hoping for. Mac Wilson in 13 snaps had a 64.7 grade. Malik McDowell, a nice little uptick back to the to the right side of things. Although he did miss a tackle, which hurt his overall tackle mark on the day. He had a 60.1 uh, overall score, 68.5 run defense grade, and a 71.3. He had four pressures on the day. Again, I like what I'm seeing from Malik McDowell. He's got to weather the storm of endurance in his first long NFL season here, but a nice bounce back. Greg Newsom gets a 58.2 and a 65.7 coverage. He had a 4 of 9. Four catches allowed on nine targets, 46 yards. I highlighted him in the OBR piece today. I thought he played exceptionally well, and I, I don't know. I didn't think that grade matched up with it. I think Greg Newsom, as we're going to talk about with our guest here in a little bit, a really fun player who's 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 doing some great stuff, great stuff for a rookie, and I'm excited about that and, and where he's going. I posted on my timeline one of the uh, one of the better efforts I saw from him when. He was beat by Chase off the line of scrimmage, but his ability to quick turn, he inside turns and recovers and gets in phase to get the pass breakup in the end zone. I could not be more excited about where Greg Newsom is going. Uh, pretty pretty good young corner. 
And as long as he stays healthy, the future is so bright for him opposite Denzel. Jordan Elliott with a 58.2 and 38 snaps, highlighted by a 66.3 run grade where he had three tackles on the day. He did have two pressures. Troy Hill, hey man, didn't didn't have the best coverage mark of 49.8. He actually allowed six of seven catches for 58 yards, but he did change the game in pass rush where he had four total pressures, two sacks, a hit in a hurry. And I thought he was, you know, fine enough in the role they needed him to do in coverage in 62 snaps. I think Troy Hill continues to play well. Really instinctual play to come up and get the sack there in the second half against Burrow where he was in the in curl flat and just sort of anticipated Burrow wanting to get out to extend and use his legs, uh, but ended up cutting him down. That was really a, a nice effort. Afedi Odenabo plays 33 snaps a high for Cleveland this year. Two pressures, a hit in a hurry. You're going to be the fourth defensive end. That's what you need to do, man. That's your job. Get a couple pressures. Did a nice job. Malik Jackson with the 54.0. I still think he's battling injuries. Only 35 snaps for him. 64.3 run mark. Like I said, battling injuries. Grant Delpit's role has not seemed to increase all too much yet. Only 18 snaps on the day. A 52.6 mark. So you would like to see a higher uptick from Grant as the year wears on. He's got all of my attention he had a 50.8 coverage mark where he allowed one catch for 19 yards. So they need more from Grant Delpit. To reach another level, they need more. Tack McKinley re-aggravated the groin, only 12 snaps, nothing worth noting. Sione Takitaki played 29 snaps, so he got some snaps at will late in this game. A 47.5 grade, 43.6 in run. He did end up with four tackles. Genevieve Clowney, he's laboring, man. I, I still don't think he's totally right. But he's making his presence known. Not a great game, a 47.5. Not not even really a good game, but uh, but enough uh, to be a presence, especially in run defense. We had a 74.8 run defense mark. That's where he leaves his uh, leaves his his mark on any game is in run defense. Malcolm Smith in 41 snaps, a 44.4. So not as good as you would like to see from Malcolm as they kind of shuffle around the linebacker stuff. A 45.8 in coverage. He had allowed four catches. On six targets for 34 yards. And then Greedy Williams only played five snaps. He allowed a 16-yard catch. His grade's 29.4. It's not good. The bigger concern is that he re-aggravated the shoulder that he aggravated last year. So as you go through the week with injuries, my attention would definitely be there to see how Greedy comes out um, comes out of this this whole shoulder re-aggravation. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a lot more than that. You just get nervous after what happened to him last year. As far as data goes for the game, some interesting things to note here. Uh, the Browns were in base only 13 snaps. That speaks to Mac Wilson's 13 snaps. They were in nickel 52 of 70 plays. All of those plays were against the 11 personnel heavy suit that the Bengals like to run, right? So 52 of 70 snaps. That tells you all you need to know about how Cincinnati operates. Is I'm pretty sure they'll lead the league in that mark again for 11 personnel, as they should. That's their best. That's their best group. Only five snaps and dimes. So that number continues to dwindle. Base dwindles, nickel continues to rise. That's a trend of late. What caught me by surprise was the introduction of more cover cover two and cover six. This is the first time I've seen the Browns run neutral field cover two. Um, they have really not run much of that except for down tight in the red zone. So that's a really interesting wrinkle. Thought that was uh, a trend that I think we'll see continue to rise. And cover six is a variation of cover two. And I think that they're getting a little more comfortable with that. They are trending higher and higher in cover three where they had 30 snaps of that. The cover four numbers are down just a little bit, down to 17 in this game. And then a high uptick of cover one, man-to-man coverage, 14 snaps in that. So they 
they threw the bag at Cincinnati. They got creative. They only blitzed seven times in 70 snaps. Okay, one time they went with uh, six or more. Every other time was just five. They ended up doing a great job, though, where Joe Burrow went three of four for six yards total. Some gains, but then the sacks. They had two sacks, which negated some of the 20. I think they ended up with 22 yards, but the sacks negated it back to six yards. And then they obviously went man and that 99-yard interception return when they blitzed. And that was fun. That is what you like to see. The, the, the idea going into this game, when I talked to you about it, whether it was Twitch, whether it was my show on Friday with John Colosimo, you can't blitz Joe Burrow. That is the thing. He beats the blitz really well. They didn't. They generated pressure with their front and dropped seven into coverage as, as you know, 90% of the time, which is what you want. But the varying coverages of late and the varying alignments, such as John Johnson I mentioned earlier, particularly catch my eye. Your Cleveland Browns have held three straight opponents under 17 points. 14 to the Denver Broncos, 15 to the Pittsburgh Steelers, and now 16 to the Bengals. The defense is getting better, folks. If they continue to stay healthy, they have an opportunity over the next two weeks to play really good football and put a hurting on both New England's offense and Detroit's offense and continue a great trend of of good defense. They definitely have my attention. They are on the right path. And when we talk about being on the right path, just like last week I had John Stephenson on, I'm going to also bring on Pete Smith who writes over at SI Browns Digest. I think Pete uh, has done a nice job talking about Joe Woods and the perspective necessary. So I wanted to get some big picture thoughts from Pete uh, about what he feels this Browns defense is doing, how he feels about Joe Woods, how he feels about the performances of some of the key parts and where it gets better, so on and so forth. I really enjoyed my time with him here. So hopefully you guys do too. Let's get over to that interview right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, we're back talking defense, which means I am once again trying to get the listeners of this podcast to take a step back. Put your put your alcoholic beverage down or whatever it is that you consume at night, and let's talk about where 
either credit or blame goes when things go right or wrong defensively and talk about the Browns philosophy so that I think everybody can come together to understand what the Browns are trying to do. I'm trying to give you trying to give you perspective on that. And I wanted to welcome on Pete Smith because I think Pete does a great job with this. And um, yeah, Pete, how are you, man? I am good. How are you? I am I'm good. I can't complain. Can't complain, which is rare these this time of year with the clocks rolling back and all that stuff. So Pete, what I want to ask you is you've you've got extensive experience in football, man. You have you've coached it, uh, been around it, covered it from a lot of different angles. And the immediate knee-jerk reaction of folks is when something goes wrong, it's a third and eight, and somebody catches a ten-yard curl. It's a, uh, you know, it's a, it's the middle of a ten-play drive. People want to say, "What what is Joe Woods doing?" Kind of give like give people, if you can, your philosophy of where the blame or credit goes on the defensive side. Like, how much do you put on the defensive coordinator in terms of responsibility for down-to-down stuff? And how much of it is like guys executing within the scheme? Because if your immediate reaction, if a nine-yard ball is caught on third and eight, is probably not to jump at the defensive coordinator. I don't think the teaching point is, hey, man, go ahead and give up that first down right in front of you. But that seems to be where people go with at least the defensive coordinators that have been here of late, some worse than others. But like they just want to blame the D.C. all the time. And and I just kind of want perspectives on that from people who either coach it or talk about it all the time, or cover it, and I think your opinion on this is interesting to me. I think in general, when it comes to what you're going to blame a coordinator for, it's consistency in the types of mistakes being made from a overall you know, idea of things, and then you know you can call them on play calling, like it, just like offensively, you can call call out play calling, and there are times where Joe Woods has been pantsed in situations where he sent blitzes and, and, and gotten beat and that type of thing, like on screens or whatever. And, and at that point you just sort of give it up to the other guy. But I think what gets lost in this is how I guess little control a defensive coordinator has in the end, other than trying to set up guys in the best position possible. You get them lined up, uh, alignment's obviously critical, and then just executing assignments and holding guys responsible for executing assignments. And what do you think, like, what is your general, we're nine games into this, we have a whole year of data last year, I know they've they've changed some things going into this year with better, you know, better personnel, but what do you think the Browns are trying to do? Like, what is their general philosophy defensively for you? Well, the Browns are based on the idea that they, they want to be able to cover as, as well as they can, and then depending on the matchup they have, both in terms of the weapons they're facing, as well as the quarterback they're facing, as well as sort of the other things the offense can do, be it blocking well or be it uh, the running game, and sort of adjust from that. But everything is sort of focused through the scope of how do I best cover their passing game and adjust from there. So when it comes to quarterbacks who are more mobile than others, they've been employing what amounts to be sort of a pincer attack with uh, Jadevian Clowney and Miles Garrett, where they are largely trying to take away the edges. And when they have been super successful, they have absolutely dominated on the perimeter and sort of created this sort of bottleneck inside. And it simplifies everything because while they're taking away the outside, it gives the defensive tackles a, a smaller range they have to cover. 
and it gives the inside linebackers a smaller amount of area they have to cover. And for what the Browns have, their talent is with those ends, and the other guys are sort of, I don't want to say they're also rands, but they're not great players. So in that standpoint, they're like trying to get their talent to cover up as many issues as they can. And on the back end, it's just they have really talented players and they just want them to be able to cover in a number of different ways, mix up coverages and sort of give quarterbacks a number sort of. I w- probably in a general game plan, I would say about three different looks uh, be it between some sort of man zone and then some, you know, some sort of combo coverage to try to mix things up. And the biggest problem, the thing the Browns have had has been execution on the back end in terms of just making sure that they are on the right guy, that they are, their eye discipline is good and avoiding coverage busts. All right. So, I think that's exactly right. Avoiding coverage by some of those things that have popped up. Don't think that's wrong at all. My question is, do you think that they're... Okay, let me put it this way. Popular thing is the Browns need to blitz more. Their answer needs to be more aggression. Other teams in the division, particularly look at Baltimore, they play a more aggressive nature. They're in your face. They're going to blitz you a ton. They're going to cover one, cover zero. You Cleveland is a high-volume zone team, high-volume... Quarters really, they, they, certain points this year they're playing the highest volume of quarters in the NFL. I think the last few weeks here they've gone, they've gone under that number a little bit. But what they want to do is zone you up, eliminate explosives, sort of funnel things in. Is that the right approach with this personnel? That's a big question. Is that right? Because we've seen teams, other teams, use some of the skill in different ways, and I think people are hungry for that. But they also don't understand the risk reward with a system like Baltimore. So do you think the way that they're set up and currently functioning? They're using the personnel, particularly Joe, is using the personnel in the best manner to fit all of those skill sets. Yes, but I also think that's partly out of necessity. So if you are somebody who wants the Browns to send more blitzes and the Browns are having issues with coverage busts, that's a really bad combination of things to have going on. If you are running into a problem where you're having a couple coverage busts a game and now you're sending more guys – you're now more exposed to get beat deep or to give up those big plays. If you're not executing consistently in coverage, your mindset is usually keep more guys back. If the if, if Joe Woods can say, you know, these five DBs are doing a great job and what I'm asking him to do, he actually has more freedom to send pressure. So that execution on the back end in some ways is holding the Browns hostage and forcing him to keep more guys back. On the other hand, there are times when he's really aggressive and he just get, you know, and like third and long is his favorite time to blitz. And and it makes a ton of sense. You're basically saying, I want the ball to come out of the quarterback's hands as quickly as possible to eliminate long developing pass plays. that could potentially pick up, you know, third and 12 or third and 15 or whatever it is. And that's just smart in terms of you get the ball out quickly and you can tackle it. You're not going to give up that yardage. The Arizona Cardinals game where nobody could uh, tackle DeAndre Hopkins on basically what amounted to be like a a, a throw to the line of scrimmage was a great call that was just executed incredibly poorly because they didn't make the tackle. But as the Browns get more comfortable, you're going to see more blitzes. Now, the the Cincinnati Bengals is sort of an outlier in in that one thing because Joe Burrow is one of the highest executing quarterbacks in the NFL against the blitz. So the Browns were really selective in their blitzes. And to Joe Wood's credit, he made a couple of really great calls like the 
under center play action where Joe Burrow t- turns his back to what ends up being uh, Troy Hill coming off the edge. And, and it looks perfect because Joe Burrow has no idea it's coming off the opposite edge, picks up a sack and it looks great. But some of the commentary or you know, sort of people talking about this think the Browns ran a lot more blitzes in this game. They blitzed almost nothing because their defensive line was just dominant up front. And the more ability you're off, your defensive line can generate pressure, particularly when you have guys like Miles Garrett and Jadevian Clowney, the less you feel like you need to blitz. And now you're forcing a guy like, in this case, Burrow, to throw into two and three DBs at one spot. And it resulted in turnovers in this game. Well, that's the formula, right, is – is you you want to be able to play seven and rush four as often as you possibly can. I mean, I I don't think that's any secret. Playing too high against these teams with explosive 11 personnel, Arizona who gets weird and gets into 10 personnel, you need to drop seven as often as possible. So that's kind of the, the question, right, is the question is, are they good enough the rest of the year? They've held, you know, they've gone 14 for Denver, 15 for Pittsburgh, now 16 for Cincinnati. They held Minnesota to seven. Like to me, the general picture of people with the defense, I think, is rooted in frustration with the offense. Would you say this is true that people take out the offensive frustrations on defense because every little thing gets magnetized and and overanalyzed when your offense is struggling and doesn't put up points? Because to me, I would say they're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, they've had busts this year. Some things have gone wrong. The Chargers game went wrong. There've been some plays here or there where Ronnie Harrison just seems to be inept at figuring out the principles of covering in quarters, but they've done their job. Like, how would you grade Joe Woods? Is he doing enough and everything is sort of being magnetized when your offense has been struggling as it was the weeks before? Because as much as like, I'll let you answer that first, then I'll follow it up. Cause there's a good turnover question baked into this whole thing too. But do you think Joe has done enough to give them an, uh, defensively enough to, to win enough football games this year from like your grade standpoint, how would you grade him? I think he's done a, a good job overall. Obviously, you don't want to have games like Los Angeles where you're giving up 47 points or 40 or however you want to call it based on them essentially pushing the back into the end zone for the final one. But you're not going to win many football games when you, you give up 40. But to your to your point, there are definitely people who take their frustration out on defense, even against the Steelers where they gave up three in the first half. There were people pissed at the defense because Greedy Williams kept giving up these third and longs because he's playing literally on the sticks. And, you know, he I, I have little doubt that he's basically coached to buzz his feet and attack downhill. And Greedy Williams, for whatever reason, just wants to immediately open up his hips and pull back. And that's something that I think is a good thing for Joe Woods to keep doing to hopefully correct that. The type of coverage that Greedy Williams was trying to play is exactly the type of coverage that sort of yielded the Denzel Ward pick six. You want guys to play – if you want the Browns' defense to be more aggressive, them playing facing the, the receiver is the best way to do it. If they buzz their feet, come downhill, and undercut some of these passes. Like Greedy Williams, if he had done this once out of that game, he may have housed one because they were just throwing it without even thinking about it. But he's got to get out of that habit of immediately wanting to bail, which is part of the reason I really like Greg Newsom is he's pretty good at doing a little bit of everything. But you also saw that – the interception return for Denzel Ward, which was obviously a big play, but the same concept. He never turned his head away from the play. He's playing downhill, which is exactly what you want. So I think some of the frustrations with Joe Woods playing a quote-unquote passive defense 
has everything to do with DBs who are still learning this. They have very young corners still, other than Denzel Ward, who haven't really been sort of fully formed. And if they can get this thing down, the Browns defense will look decidedly more aggressive and be able to cause more of the turnovers that we saw against the Bengals. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. For sure. That's, that's a great point, especially about Greedy, who took a year off, didn't get to play in the first year of Joe's scheme, obviously. It's a new thing for him. He's a press man guy at LSU. They're, they're, he's up in your face. He's mirroring you. He's running with you. Press bail. That's a new thing for him. It's never been his strong point. Even his rookie year was never his strong point. So hopefully he can keep adapting. But with those two, now Greg and, and Denzel hopefully starting to thrive together, you get the best of both worlds from guys that... You know, Greg can handle both concepts, both playing uh, off-zone coverage, and that's why Stefanski called him scheme agnostic way back when they picked him. He can handle more of that. Denzel has been coached into handling more of that. That's where it gets exciting. Those two players, I think, are coming into their own. As you look at the second half of the year, Pete, what players are you most excited about? You know, Whether it's guys who maybe haven't hit expectations yet, but you think their ceiling is going to grow over the second half of the year, um, you're just kind of looking at who you think has played really well in this system so far is going to keep getting better. And then maybe some guys are a little disappointed with and need more out of as well. Well, the number one guy I'm disappointed in is Ronnie Harrison, who I thought was going to have a breakout year. And I think part of what Harrison's problem has been in addition to just eye discipline and, and trusting that he needs to do his job is I think he's trying desperately to earn an extension or a big contract elsewhere. And it has caused him to make what I think are hero plays or attempted hero plays where he's basically getting greedy and trying to jump some routes that he has no business jumping that are basically covered. And then he gets exposed. Uh, Again, the Arizona Cardinals is the easiest example where he comes downhill trying to take a crosser, which is easily covered, running right into where Denzel Ward is. And it leaves DeAndre Hopkins open in the back end, wide open, complete coverage bust. People are mad at Joe Woods, and it's entirely about a player who just got greedy or took the wrong cue or you know whatever, and that results in that massive coverage bust. If he can just play as well as he did last year with the talent they now have around him, he could be a star. But for whatever reason, there's something not happening there, and I'm hoping that's something that can get better as this year goes on because right now you're getting John Johnson who is playing unbelievably well in his last three games. The, the stinger unfortunate, but the three games that he, the three full games he has played the last three have been great. Um, I think a lot of people are sort of annoyed that John Johnson wasn't playing the role that they thought he should be coming right in. And that's born out of the fact that Ronnie Harrison hasn't been doing his job well. And then Grant Delpit, God bless him, for all the physical talent he has, he just doesn't know enough yet. So he, he can be a, a roller coaster ride. So you're sort of forced to have John Johnson play more of that true free than you are, you'd like him to do. He can do it. Certainly. He's obviously somebody who's really skilled at that, but you'd like him to be able to do some of the things. I think the Broncos game really showed his full range of skills where he's manning up Noah Fant. And then he's also baiting Teddy Bridgewater into a pick down the field. Like that's the full extent of his skill set. But right now, if you've got this sort of triangle of the 
Bermuda Triangle for, for opposing teams of John Johnson, Greg Newsom, and then if Denzel Ward can continue to play like this and stay healthy, then that group is really dangerous because the Bengals, you know, you can say that the the Broncos and the Steelers weren't very good offense. You can't make that claim about the Bengals. I do think the Browns were a terrific matchup against the Bengals, but they had all kinds of weapons. They have a great quarterback, and they were at the top of their game in a way that if they could keep that level at the the, the rest of the season, they will have one of the best defenses in football. Now, that's a big ask because that was, you know, basically the best game any secondary has had in the league. But they don't have to be quite that good. They just have to be consistent and avoid those coverage issues that they've had. And I think John Johnson now having had the uh, the the, the uh, green dot, which you and I both wanted from the get-go because of what he does, uh, he's coming into his own in that. And I think that's making a big difference. So you have those guys. And if you can get – you know, here in a couple of weeks, hopefully for the two Ravens games, you get Jeremiah Usukoromoa back. Then you get that speedy weapon in the middle of defense, and you can really cause a lot of problems, which is only going to make Joe Woods look better. But I, I, you know, Greg Newsom might be the might be the biggest star on this defense that isn't recognized as such. I, I think Browns fans in general are very excited about Newsom, but he's legitimately outstanding already. He had he's. Like I said, he's pretty good at everything, but he isn't elite at anything yet. And I emphasize yet because he's smart. He plays technique well, and he's got incredible anticipation on how to play the ball and playing the hands. Multiple times in the game yesterday, he was able to take basically poke the ball out of receivers' hands that fell harmlessly incomplete. And I think other guys would have panicked and either grabbed or tried to turn around and play the ball and given up those receptions. It's a great point, especially on on how how he's not yet excelling at anything, but he's just playing he's playing good football all around. And if you can get Denzel to jump up a notch here the second half of the season, you keep the status quo and then maybe get a new level from Newsom and you really start to cook and the vision becomes real. You talked about JOK just a minute ago, Pete. I think we were all pretty comfortable with the guy as an athlete, the guy playing in space, the guy playing less thinking playing forward, but I've been impressed with how well he's been able to play inside the tackle box by forming ways to get past opposing linemen without taking them on, whether that's like the short area quickness things, the ducking under block, like he has been able to adapt to the NFL level way quicker as a will than I anticipated because he's able to function inside the tackle box without taking on direct blocks while still anchoring his run fit, but also being able to play that sideline to sideline burst that we loved. So I'm curious I got him, and I want to talk to you about Clowney before we wrap up here. Like, where are you on JOK, and where do you see his ceiling, man? Ceiling? It's it's the sky's the limit on him for the exact reason you mentioned. You know, you can complain that he – I don't think he's 220 pounds no. yet. Uh, but it doesn't matter if they don't hit him. Uh, and that was – you sort of saw that in the preseason. The one game he was absolute, an absolute star, and then – Later in the preseason, they basically asked him to sort of read and figure things out, and he got killed, I think, by the Giants. Yeah, That's not happening anymore, and it's allowing him to play incredibly fast, impactful, and basically beat opponents to the spot. And a lot of that is due to the defensive end play. Uh, I wish I could say the Browns were getting more out of their defensive tackles than they are. That That's becoming an issue of concern because it's not – as impactful as we'd like, even though that's not to say I don't like Malik McDowell. I just, I think this was somewhat to be expected given his path to the NFL, but 
we're, we're, we're needing more out of our linebackers than maybe the Browns would have liked to ask for. And JOK, to his credit, has answered the bell every time he's he's been out there. And obviously, it's all credit in the world to him that the Browns are feel like they're missing a lot by not having a rookie. Yeah, he's exceptional. I hope that he comes back. And like you mentioned, the Baltimore games would be the ideal return to see him sort of anchor in a, an offense that is they're so they're so weird. They're the Navy of the NFL. You need you need all your pieces for that game. Let's talk real quick before we close on Clowney. Uh, I, I mean, I think he's been what we've expected him to be. I would imagine even to me a little bit more than I anticipated. Not necessarily generating a ton of high volume sack numbers. We knew that wasn't going to happen. But the way he can anchor run game and just his presence alone that can turn offensive coordinators away from directional football and maybe feeling as comfortable as you. I mean, you never feel comfortable with Miles, you know, hunting on past situations that are known, but the versatility of Clowney and the way he can handle both phases has been even above expectation for what I thought he could be. So I'm curious where you're at here with him. He's the second best player on the defense, bar none. It's a shame that there have been games where he's been hurt and he's sort of been lumbering through it. But, you know, and I had a skepticism with why the Browns were pursuing Clowney so hard when they had Olivier Vernon healthy because he's a really, really good defensive end. Mm-hmm. But having seen what they have envisioned for Clowney, I totally get it. He's able to just own the edge, keep players from getting outside of him if that's their goal. Weirdly, the Browns didn't do that at all against the Bengals. For all the athleticism Joe Burrow has, they played him like a totally straight drop quarterback, which is a weird sort of, I guess, epiphany on how the NFL views Joe Burrow, mm-hmm. at least through the Browns' eyes. I, You know, you'd think, oh, they want to keep him inside the pocket like they did with Justin Herbert and Kyler Murray, uh, but they didn't, and they basically just attacked straight at him. But Clowney is versatile. He can attack the quarterback and cause pressure. He's incredibly powerful and disruptive up front, and he just plays so well across from what the Browns are getting from Miles Garrett. And, it, you know, there was always this feeling that he was sort of going to be a mercenary for the Browns for a year. And now you're sitting there going, I don't know what this defense looks like without Jadevian Clowney, considering the issues they, they need to address on the interior. They need a, a, a real three technique uh, to help this group. But Clowney, along with Garrett, helped to mask a lot of issues this defensive line would have without them. And, you know, I, I, I don't, it feels to me like Clowney would be very excited at an opportunity to continue playing with the Browns because he's having arguably the best season of his career. Uh, and then continuing that with what the Browns want to do and continuing that talent, that may be a really exciting uh, possibility with him. Uh, everything with him is about his health, but he has, like I said, he's the second most important player on this defense. It's him and Miles Garrett followed by everybody else. And John Johnson clearly is, you know, rising up that board quickly because he went from being sort of a a confusing adjustment to now he's playing elite level football, which changes the defense in just every way we we thought it might when they signed him in the first place. So they they get two interesting offenses coming up. I, I don't particularly fear New England. I definitely don't fear Detroit, but they get Baltimore twice. They go to Green Bay. They have Oakland or so well, Las Vegas, so they do have a stretch there of interesting, tough challenges. I, I, I think what I'm looking for is the, the the last question here for you, Pete, is what is the ceiling of this defense? Is this defense, in your view, as it presently is constituted and where we see it going over the last three weeks, your opinion, is it a defense that you can win 
playoff games with, and then ultimately, is it the defense you see that can do enough to get them to a Super Bowl if they hit the right hot streak at the right time? They can be good enough to win a Super Bowl. I don't think they are going to end up being good enough to win a Super Bowl. And it's simply because they have a couple holes that they aren't going to be able to address, namely on the interior. You know, if they keep that their ends healthy and get tack back in a healthy way that allows Clowney or Garrett to attack from the middle, they can do some damage. But if you just watch how the Bengals defended the Ravens, the Browns can do that, but better. The Bengals... Biggest thing, and you and I talked about this before the season. They've got two hulking defensive ends with length, and then they've got DJ Reader, who's obviously a stud, and they have Larry Ogunjobi, who's basically playing just like Larry Ogunjobi did for the Browns. Mm-hmm. And they just absolutely funneled the Ravens and gave them nowhere to go. If you're looking at this with Miles Garrett, Jadevian Clowney on the edges, where the Browns have had the most success dealing with the Ravens has been when uh, when Garrett and then when they had Olivier Vernon were able to control the line of scrimmage, force uh, Lamar Jackson inside to, to the numbers, then the Browns were in great shape. If they have JOK back, that's another huge weapon. I think Malcolm Smith becomes a, a big asset in that type of game. And their DBs are really good. So if you can cover you know the, the Buffalo Bills and what they did to the Ravens in the playoffs, the Browns can do, which is cover their receivers basically one-on-one. And then, you know, take as many assets as you need to sort of take away Mark Andrews. And then everybody else is just playing assignment sound defense that people are going to talk about spies and all that crap. It's not realistic in any sense of the way, in any sense of the word, you're not going to ask JOK to play Lamar Jackson one-on-one. He may follow him around, but ultimately it's still going to be about playing gaps appropriately and giving Lamar Jackson nowhere to go. And the Browns are really suited to do it. They have to go out and execute, but if they do like the Bengals did, and the Bengals took control of that game. I think the Browns can do the same thing, but they have more talent than the Bengals did. Well, that's encouraging. It's it's at least we can say headed in the right direction, and if they keep some important pieces around, make another good run at it next year. So that's the stuff you love to hear. Pete, remind everybody where they can find you. We appreciate, obviously, your time, uh, your effort, and, and taking uh, some, some some like I said, dedicated time away from your own work to, to uh, enlighten the fans of this podcast. So tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, you can find me at underscore Pete Smith underscore, uh, as well as at Browns Digest SI. I think that's what it is. I may have that backwards. Uh, SI.com slash NFL slash Browns. You can find the uh, the podcast for Pete's sake, along with Nicole Chatham. Uh, even if you don't like me, you'll like her. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, those are all the best places you can find me. And, and as always, Jake, I, I love coming on and, and talking talking Browns with you. Appreciate it so, so much. Thanks again, Pete. All right, and that's a wrap for today's episode. I, I'm literally coming just short of promising I will have defensive scouting notes up for you to read this week. Way more enjoyable experience. Also not under the weather, miserably sick. Also not dealing with, you know, kidney stone issues and things like that. So that, that really helps. A simple reminder that all of the best content from the OBR can be found on the website. Also on Twitch, I will have Chalk Talks episode up. For you Tuesday night, we're going to do some live stuff, breaking down the defense, breaking down, you know, Baker Mayfield's very brief day. We'll break that down in detail, and then we'll look at the O-line play as we do. That's always a fun Tuesday episode after a win, so check that out. If you missed Monday Rewind, we did that last night. You can find that on the Twitch channel for your viewing pleasure. I wrote about the secondary's dominant performance. You can also check that out, and there's a data 
Rewind, as we do every Monday up on the website as well, checking all of the intricate analytics stuff that is outlined very well by Anthony Reinhardt and Cody Sweck. Check all of that content out. Join us at the OBR if you have not already done so, whether through the Twitch or website. We appreciate all of your support. Thanks for listening to today's episode and all other episodes. Your subscription and downloads and all of it, it means the world to me. Appreciate you guys so, so much. Have a great Tuesday. We'll be back with more offensive content for your Wednesday. Until then, go Browns. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.